Welcome to Just Think, the podcast. The podcast where we don't want to tell you what to think. We just want to encourage you to do it. We are three friends that came from across the political spectrum who were tired of partisan politics and were alarmed at what we saw happening in our country, including the growing political divide. But we found that as we challenged ourselves to recognize our own biases, to put them aside, we were absolutely united in our pursuit for the truth. And that's why we started this podcast, to share the conversations we were having around that pursuit and to invite you into our conversation. To encourage you to feel free to ask questions, search for the answers yourself, to say what you think. That's right, because as we like to say, diversity of thought, ideas, and beliefs are welcome here. Asshats are not. (laughs) (laughs) All are welcome, as long as you just think. Well, hey, 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 we're back at it, girls. Hello, hello. Ooh, I'm excited about this episode, y'all. So excited. And coming in hot and full of information today. Full of knowledge today for y'all. I mean, it's kind of crazy to me that as we do these this these this dive into all this information, we find ourselves saying to each other, and I'm gonna edit for the radio, what in the world is happening? Yeah. (laughs) What's happening? WTF is what we earlier say. It's almost like, this is what I think is so crazy. As we have dug in, we realize this information is available to Americans. Even though there is the suppression of information, certainly from the mainstream news sources, information, thanks to the internet, and we're not, you know, communist China yet, um, we can still find this information. Thank God. Yeah. But it's in full view. I mean, these are documented things that you can find, and the fact that we as Americans aren't up in arms, so to speak, over some of the things that are happening, right. and frankly, have been happening since long before 2020. The fact that this stuff that we're about to tell you today is not the nightly news. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you <laughs> exactly. know what I mean? Because I, I, this is my thing. It's like I find we were finding like as we do this podcast, we dig, we research, we find all this information, but yet I look around and I feel like nobody knows. No, because if you knew, you would be like, your right. mind, your head would be exploding like ours. Is. Well, I think. I mean, if, seriously. If more Americans knew, we'd be holding more people accountable, I feel. Like, there's no accountability in the media anymore. There's no accountability in government anymore. We continue to elect these lifelong politicians who have proven time and time again are crooked. I mean, they are not honest people. Right. There's enough smoke to know there's a fire somewhere. There's so much we don't know about what's really going on. I remember Facebook several years ago had this, it's kind of a docu-series called The Swamp. They interviewed both Democrats and Republicans. I think you can still find it maybe on YouTube or something. These were elected politicians who were deciding, I think almost all of them leaving office after their terms because they were so disgusted by seeing how Washington works. Mm. And it was an eye-opener. Yeah. Like, we've always known that like the trust in politicians is at an Yeah, it doesn't level. surprise me. Well, and it's just crazy to me. Like I start thinking about it. I'm like, all these people, these household name politicians, yeah. these household name politicians... I've never even thought twice, really, like, God, they're still there. They're yeah. still mm-hmm. there. Like, 50 years later, oh, they're <laughs> still there. Like, but but what are they doing? Like, how are they constantly getting elected? Are we even paying attention? Or, or are we just truly electing them for decades upon decades upon decades and nobody else is coming along to, and giving a chance? Like, I, I don't know. It's just weird. Money. They, they just yeah. stay. They, they just, just linger. Somehow, they linger. Yeah, like, somehow, like, like a fart. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow they just, they just linger. Don't, they don't they call just, it swamp for nothing. Like just, chronic halitosis. Okay? They just don't go away. But I do swamp feel like life. we have like some up and coming young, really um, like on fire, you know, people that are starting to get into politics that I'm, I'm hoping are going to like bring some fresh new energy into our country. Here's well, the thing like, though. A lot of them say so much and you get so excited. You're like, yes, finally. But a lot action. of them, I'm still not seeing the action. It's, we need it's, action. it's like our, like what I tell my kids: actions speak louder right. than words. You can say a lot of awesome things and complain a lot. But yeah, lots and, of and make sound bites. You can make right. sound bites, but maybe not make a difference. Right. And we need people mm-hmm. who actually can make a difference. Right. Absolutely. And I do think that there's a, the system's broken, right? And so I, that's one of the things the Swamp docu series highlighted was: if you're not, so basically these senators and these congressmen, they get brought in and they have to basically join like a pack, right? They have to join like their their political party then says you're on our side and then you get put, you hope to get put on these committees, right? And basically guys, it is it's it's all driven by money and power. And this is why 
the system's broken. So good people do get elected and they usually get in there and they either aren't effective or they transform and morph into the millionaires that now sit there. Mm -hmm. They go in, like we're going to talk about that some today. I think, you know, they go into office. Big aspirations. Big aspirations and way less rich. Yeah. And they get real rich. They do. And on American, uh, on the backs of Americans. Right. And it's a crooked system. And the two-party system certainly facilitates that as well because, uh, you know, you there's so much dollars put into these candidates. And they work really hard to make sure that the American public is only aware of those two candidates, right? And this is like, again, I think when people don't understand why people could support Donald Trump with tweet you know they would see his tweets and say why do you why do you why would you vote for this guy but he was the wrecking ball to the establishment he actually wasn't from the political parties per se right and so he came in sort of as an outsider and i think americans identified with that right and we we all want there to be some changes and i think this was one reason why initially joe biden wasn't a popular candidate for the democratic party because he was establishment right right 47 years i mean but right, that's who politics. they thought could beat Trump. Right. So therefore, that's who they put up. So you see how people get caught in the cycle right. of, well, we need to win at all costs. So let's put up somebody that's like, you know. Right. Sorry. I mean, we have some background noise. I don't know. Oh, do, oh <laughs> so sorry. So y'all hearing some banging and clanging. Sorry. No, it, I know it's like person's cup. I don't know. Well, I'm, I'm on my own today in the studio, producing-wise. Like, say. so if, if it, if the sound, hopefully the sound quality is good. Yes. Oh. I mean, it sounds good in my ears okay, right good. now, Amy. So I think you're good. Yeah, sorry, okay. guys. I feel like mine's really loud. But okay. And Chris, I don't even know which Amy, you is. might be quieter. So in my ear, though, because here's the well, thing, guys. We don't bear know. With us. Because we're not tech experts. Mm -mm. Um, But we are talking experts and research experts. And we have done a ton of research for this podcast. (laughs) We got a lot of things for y'all that y'all may not know. You may not know. And honestly, you know, we're going to do a different kind of a setup, we think, right? Our our vision for this episode is to have a round robin of did you know? Did you know? Did you know stuff? Okay. Mm -hmm. Things. Did you know this? Did you know that? And listen, we're going to, of course, as always, put the resources on our social on our social media on our link tree. You can always find it there. Um, but we don't have the fullness of the understanding of some of these things. That, but when we start digging and reading, we are alarmed at what we're seeing, and we think you should know about it. So. Yeah. Y'all get, should see our text thread. I know. Well, and we're not, and, and like, we may not expound on everything we're going to share with you today, but if there's something that we say that you're like, no way, that can't be true. Oh my gosh. Like we're encouraging you all to like, go look at it, do the research yourself because it's out there. And, and we want, we want y'all to be able to do that. That's mm-hmm. right. Okay. Where, where y'all want to start? Who, who wants oh, to get Amy. Amy. Oh. Amy, you Okay. We're, we're, we're starting our did you knows. There's so many. Okay. I'll go first. Okay. So did you know that in North Carolina, this is actually a very positive thing, Governor Cooper just signed a bill into law this month called the No Patient Left Alone Act, which means that visitation must be allowed for patients and residents in hospitals, nursing homes, and combination homes, hospice care facilities, adult care homes, special care units, and residential treatment facilities. So that's great news. That is great news. And it's great because, well, it was a little surprising, to be honest with you, because we have just continued to see and hear stories after stories. Certainly, we've highlighted some of them. But we are shocked that that families are not with their dying loved ones or their critically ill loved ones. And certainly, it was because of COVID, right? Right. And so that is where we, we know that's one part of the broken system that we needed to fix. So that's good news. Now, do you guys have any idea how long it's going to take for this to go into? Like, is this now a thing? I mean, I think it was signed into law. Okay. So I guess that means, oh, it does it happen now? We okay. just know that a lot of patients have been left alone. Oh, it's it's horrible. And if your hospital's not aware of this act, this is a good time to make sure they're aware. And this is why we <laughs> wanted to make sure everybody knows this, so that if they tell you you're not allowed there, you need to know. Yeah. <laughs> so this is, this is it. oh, Amy, I don't hear myself now. I don't know. That's weird. Okay. I hear you. Do you hear me? Okay. Mm-hmm. okay. But that's better. Okay. It's not as echoey. Oh, good. Yay. Okay. Holla, Yay. holla. Did All you right. know Did that you, Amy can produce can and do sound and everything? Yeah. She's amazing. <laughs> we learn something new every we, day. I wish we had video of Amy there. <laughs> you should think, see my face right now. <laughs> okay. So, so we, okay. So we thought that was an important, you should know. If yes. you didn't know North Carolinians, this is a big deal. Thank for you, Governor state. Cooper, for yeah, that. Yeah, thank you. Absolutely. Mm. All right. What else you got? Did you know that the survivability of COVID-19 in 0 to 19-year-olds is 99.9973%? 
Well, interesting. That's hmm. interesting, especially because the New York Times had a headline, which I think we're always a little surprised. The New York Times covers actual, um, you know, the full scope of these right. conversations. Did you know that an unvaccinated child is at ri- less risk of serious illness from COVID than a vaccinated seventy-year-old? Hmm. That's interesting. I mean, so we we talk about you know, of course, making these. Um, vaccines, they were first available to the at-risk, which would have been over 70. But an <clears throat> unvaccinated child is still at less risk than right. that vaccinated, fully vaccinated 70-year-old. So New York Times put that out. But then also the New York Times had to put in a major correction, one of their articles that they had. Did you know that the New York Times told their readers that nearly 900,000 children have been hospitalized with COVID-19 since the pandemic began? but later added a correction note that the correct, the correct number from August 2020 to October 2021 was actually 63,000, which means the New York Times exaggerated the number by 837,000 cases. And this is the information that's going out. And that correction note was like so small, you needed a magnifying glass. I don't, I don't think it, did anybody even know that there was a mm-hmm. correction? They probably do it very quietly. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, mm-hmm. th- this, is, this is a track record now with a lot of these companies. Is that when they do get it wrong, like the retraction is small, Very hardly small. covered, if covered at all. And this is a big deal because you've got people scared to death signing their children up for vaccines thinking that there's a very good chance that their child is either going to get it, contract it, and be very sick or spread it. And I think we even know that children are, are probably not even the likely spreaders of COVID, right? Hasn't there been some, some oh, yeah. data on that as well? Mm-hmm. And yet here we are scaring the you-know-what out of people. And then signing them up for a vaccine, which, by the way, they have... What's the data on the myocarditis now still, Kristen? I know we were just talking about this earlier, but we were talking about... Well, I do know that they were... um, Did you know? (laughs) (laughs) Um, With Pfizer, they... um, When you looked at... When they were looking at myocarditis, specifically 12 to 17-year-old males, Pfizer reported how many incidents they expected to see versus how many they actually saw. They expected to see anywhere from zero to five incidents. They actually saw 236. Wow. Um, How is expectation scientific evidence? Well, you can expect or hypothesize maybe, or this is like maybe based on their estimates and stuff. I don't know. But, I mean, here's the expected. Here's the outcome. And remember, they halted Moderna in several countries overseas because of myocarditis, but still using Pfizer. Here, we still have Moderna and Pfizer, and the reason they halted it is because of myocarditis and heart problems. And here, all we do is just slap a warning label on it and keep going. Well, and, and they minimize the, the, the risk of myocarditis. And just to bring this up, yeah. too, while we're on the myocarditis, we heard this, and we really suggest, I think we mentioned this last time with Joe Rogan and Sanjay Gupta, that was an excellent podcast. Um, did you know that boys aged 12 to 15 without any underlying medical conditions are four to six times more likely to be diagnosed with a vaccine-related myocarditis than they are ending up in the hospital with COVID over a four-month period? I mean... crazy. Yeah. I mean... And yet we want to mandate vaccines for all, which is just... I don't, I, I just still don't understand the science for that. Well, and did you know uh, that there have been 317 cases of myocarditis reported to VAERS over the last 31 years? And, and that's, it, that's 31 years. 31, 31 years. years. 317 cases of myocarditis in the past uh, 31 years. But did you know that so far this year, there have been 1,113 cases of myocarditis reported to VAERS in 2021 alone? And that's just reporting which we also know is seriously under under reporting. Right. Okay. Well, and here's the other thing, too. And I, I heard this stat recently, and it might have been from Cheryl Atkinson, because people are going to argue with the VAERS reporting because anyone can report, right? So so let me, let's me let shed some light on this for our listeners who aren't familiar. Mm-hmm. VAERS has long been around as the vaccine adverse effect reporting system for the government because in 1986 they passed a law that you could not sue pharmaceutical companies for injuring you with a vaccine. That law in itself is a little concerning to me considering the history of these pharmaceutical companies lying, which we're going to talk about, lying repeatedly, getting caught lying and harming the American public with these lies. Mm -hmm. When this happened, they had to have a reporting system so that the federal government could then handle the adverse reactions. Although what we have learned over COVID is many 
healthcare providers have acknowledged they did not even know it was a law to report the vaccine injuries. They also admitted, many have said, they're not trained how to identify vaccine injury. They're not trained to even believe that vaccine injury is really a thing, many of them. And this is, again, you can look all this up for yourself. And Harvard did a study on the reporting system prior to 2020 that showed that less than, probably less than 10% of vaccine adverse reactions were even reported. So when people say you can't trust VAERS, and you might say, what if 10% of what's reported in VAERS is accurate? We have the biggest vaccine injury in the history of our country to the current vaccines for COVID. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, it actually says straight on the CDC that the FDA requires healthcare professionals to report certain adverse events that occur after administering um, the vaccine. And I just think it's very important for everybody to know that most people are not reporting it because of, quote, quote, vaccine hesitancy. They don't want to increase that. And it is so important for people to know that or else we're never going to know. It's like hiding something because you don't want I mean, that's just so crazy. You're like not reporting something factual so that people can make informed decisions because you just don't want to discourage people. That's just so weird. And I want to point out too, and I may be, I remember specific, woo, specifically this number. Sorry, Holly's playing with the sounds. I can't hear now Amy. Holly's Sorry, trying. and I didn't want to say so, it into the microphone. I'm having a hard time hearing Can you hear me now? Yes. Oh my God, okay. okay. Hopefully y'all can hear me in the past five minutes. Yeah, no, not not well, but we, we could hear we're you. reading your lips. We're good. Okay. <laughs> no. The um, listeners aren't. No, they're hearing you. When they were looking in the studies now, and I don't have this pulled up right now, but I remember them looking at the um, reactions and they were looking at within 42 days of giving the vaccine. Yeah. Okay. So in my opinion, if somebody ends up in the hospital or at the doctor's office with anything they never had before and they just had a vaccine within 40 42, days, yeah. 40, 42 days, 40 to 60 days, I would say, because honestly, the clinical trials were only two months, right? Yeah. So if they have two months within 40 to 60 days, if you end up anyway, it should automatically populate somehow in the system. Like everybody should be being asked, when was your last COVID vaccine? Mm-hmm. Or did you get a COVID vaccine? Well, okay. And here's the other thing. They don't, um, they they say that for the first 14 days, they don't consider you vaccinated. Because now there's mm-hmm. actually some studies out of England and Israel that say you're at more risk of contracting COVID for two weeks after getting the vaccine. That's why they don't really want to co- count it. Because there is perhaps some immune suppression initially, and then the antibodies jump, right? So if they don't want to count someone in the first two weeks fully vaccinated, if someone has an adverse reaction, mm-hmm. I'm just curious, like, if so they're not that? considered fully, I don't know. I'm just, I'm wondering if they're not considered fully vaccinated, how does this work exactly? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How, who's really, who's, who's got these numbers down pat? I don't uh, think anybody. I don't think anyone does. And I think that there's just concern. no consistency. Right. And this is why we look at the UK. We look at Israel. We yes. look at different places They're that are better. taking better, you know, that, that have better stats, you know? Yeah. Well, what did you tell us too, Kristen? We were talking about this earlier um, with the kids, with the FDA, with the FDA saying, we don't really know. Mm. Oh, yeah, Do I actually we, have that. I have that. We can play that. Okay, can this we play happened that? on October twenty sixth. Yes, right, like a couple days FDA ago. Panel. So the FDA panel went. The FDA advisory board, um, you know, heard the panel or whatever to approve the Pfizer va- vaccine for five to eleven year olds and voted pretty much unanimously. Seventeen out of eighteen members voted yes. I don't know. The sound is better now. Yes. Okay. Voted yes um, for this vaccine. But this is the this is um, the argument or the logic of Dr. Rubin. Um, and we'll just let you hear what he says. And parents, you decide if this is um, good enough for you. But we're never going to learn about how safe the vaccine is unless we start giving it. Um, that's just the way it goes. That's how. But. Okay. So if you couldn't hear that, I have the volume all the way up. But it said. We're never going to know about how safe the vaccine is until we start giving it. That's just the way it goes. So the only way they're going to know is by giving it to your kids. And you're still in the experimental phase of this vaccine. And if anything speaks to that, it was that comment right there from the FDA meeting. This is still in experimental phases. And for I heard I tried to. um watched John Stewart's uh, show on Apple the other day, which was his first episode was actually really good because it was about um, our servicemen and women not getting the health care 
and the treatment that they need from their injuries. Speaking of people who have gotten cancers and crazy <clears throat> things from the burns over where we are fighting these wars. Um, so that was great. The second episode, I, I had to just eventually just turn it off because I was like, dude, I can't even listen to you right now. I was not in that space to listen. Because he said that it is our freedom is not free. And the way that we protect our freedom is by getting this vaccine. Mm. And okay. I wanted to go, no, you can protect your freedom by saying I'm not doing this anymore. Right. And I'm going to roll that dice. And if this were smallpox where, you know, the mortality rate was like, you know, 30 percent of people right? that got yeah. it, you know, would die of it. That's a, I think that's a different conversation. Still, I would not be I, I do not believe in mandates like you roll the dice and you choose whether you live or die. But this idea that somehow that they still believe that us getting this vaccine is protecting our community, the evidence has yet to be proven. It has not been disclosed that that is the case. And what we do know for sure, what has been proven, you can still get, transmit this disease doubly vaccinated. And in fact, we're watching European countries who were ahead of the curve there because we had more of those people complying with the mandates. And you take a country like, did you know, in Lithuania, they had, what was it, girls, like 70 to 80% of their entire um, their entire country vaccinated, right? Mm-hmm. And they, um, they they went through that, that what we, it, like a honeymoon period where, mm. do, you, do you have it, Kristen? Well, yeah, you Read had it. written, yeah. in Lithuania, they barred the unvaccinated from work, shopping, and public life, and then got 75% of adults vaccinated. What happened next? A hundred times the level of COVID in July, equivalent of more than 350,000 in the U.S. And I'm pretty sure I was just listening to, again, Joe Rogan, and he was with Alex Berenson. Berenson, yeah. And he was talking about the similar thing happened in Israel. They had that little honeymoon phase mm-hmm. because what he was saying is like, there's that really good, there is a really good like window of effectiveness, but it's only like but a couple short. weeks. Mm-hmm. And then it's like it starts waning, like by you know ten, twenty, thirty, forty percent. Well, did you know that like everyone at the same time? Yeah. Did you know that seventy percent of the um, people hospitalized with COVID in the UK are fully vaccinated right now? Seventy mm-hmm. percent. That was and so here's the, and people are going to hear that, Amy, and they're going to wait. No, they're telling us ninety five percent are unvaccinated. Okay, they were using data from months before to give you those numbers. Amy's referring to the September numbers. I'm almost short, right? I think it was for the month of September in the UK. That's, that's like the new big, I feel like I've, well, that's like the new, everybody's saying, oh my God, because they're just, whatever they're doing, they're reporting, mm-hmm. they're just ahead of us, whatever. Well, we know that they were not being full disclosure on numbers early on because they were using numbers that were back earlier in the year. And and what we're looking at is how is the vaccine performing today? That That's the big question is how is it performing today? And it does not look good. In Lithuania and other European countries are having the same the same types of things happen. And then there was a, you can go look this up, guys, in Great Britain. So I really love following their data because they're disclosing it and it's their government's disclosing it. But their British surveillance report says that the N antibody levels from people who are vaccinated appear to be lower in people who acquire infection following two doses of vaccination. And what they're saying is they're now finding that the vaccine actually interferes with your body's innate ability after infection to produce those antibodies against not just the spike protein, but other pieces (laughs) of the virus, which means specifically that vaccinated people don't seem to be producing antibodies to the, what they call nucleocapsid protein, but it's the shell of the virus. And that's a crucial part of the response in unvaccinated people. So what we're telling you is this data is saying now that this this virus has mutated, now that it's evolved, vaccinated people may be at greater risk of not being able to fight future mutations and fighting this virus in the future because of the way the vaccine told their body to respond to the virus in the first place. And by the way, there were people like Geert Vandenbosch who predicted this in 2020. He said this is exactly what was going to happen. He really feared that we would have unprecedented sickness and death from vaccinated people. And this is not to scare anyone. We're just saying pay attention to some of this. If you're feeling pressured to get the vaccine or if you got the vaccine, just take good care of your health. That's what we all should be doing. Or if you're feeling pressured to get your kids the vaccine. Just well, wait a minute and do some research. To go along with that, and then I want to say something else about the kids, but just to go along with what you just said. Um, and speaking of another expert that's been, um, and his video was actually banned from YouTube. Okay. This is Dr. Ryan Cole. Uh, 
lots of credentials, okay? Board certified pathologist from the Mayo Clinic who also happens to own and run the largest independent lab in Idaho. Um, also has expertise in um, immunology, virology, you know, wh- all, all the ologies. All the yeah, ologies. All the ologies, yeah. okay? <laughs> you can look him up. Go, You know, don't go Google it and don't look on YouTube because they won't let you watch it. But he has a great video, which we will include. Um, but he said he is actually looking, unlike other experts, right. he is actually looking at the blood from people who have been vaccinated versus not, okay? He is seeing a drop in killer T cells, the cells that help keep other viruses in check, like, um, what was it, mono, shingles, um, HPV. And also he's been seeing an uptick, there it is, in herpes, mono, shingles, HPV, and even a 20 times increase in endometrial cancers in vaccinated blood in his lab. All right? Uh, that video was deleted from YouTube when he put that uh, that information out there. And his lab is the largest independent lab in Idaho. I think you said that, Kristen, but yeah. just so you know. I mean, this is not some small, like, this is not us. Why, why, why isn't the CDC tests. doing this? Why, why aren't they why, right. independently lab testing the blood to make to see? I mean, they just don't care. I don't know. I mean, but you, all, all we're trying to say is just pay attention. Pay attention to the people who are censored. Pay attention to what other experts are saying. Yes, there are experts on all sides. But what deems one person more of an expert than another, that's opinion. We still need to look at the facts, okay? Did you know that a fully vaccinated 21-year-old student mm-hmm. at the University of Georgia died of COVID? And I, he was a personal trainer. Personal, yeah. So this is not someone that was obese. This is right. someone that was in good shape. I'm so curious about that. I mean, yeah. I did see, which again, I don't think most people know that that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, when we're talking about being able to prevent hospitalization or death, right? Um, there's now, it's we're starting to see some developments that make us question even, even that. And the hope is that the vaccine would do that. And when we circle back to the kids... If y'all haven't seen this, Dr. Marty McCary, I don't know if I'm saying that right. Hopefully that's how you say his last name, but he's with Johns Hopkins. He and his group, um, they analyzed 48,000 kids under the age of 18 that were diagnosed with COVID. And they looked at health insurance data from April to August of 2020. The mortality rate of zero among children without pre-existing conditions such as leukemia. A mortality rate of zero, y'all. I mean, because it it truly is, it's diabetes, it's cancer, it's obesity, it's heart problems, congenital abnormalities. Those are the things that are really putting the kids more at risk. So to authorize a vaccine for healthy kids, and one thing that Dr. Cole said is that kids, and not just Dr. Cole, lots of physicians that we've listened to have said how much kids have just this robust immune system innately, naturally. And if you vaccinate, you know, if you do this, it's training them, just like you said with the Great Britain, to only recognize and produce antibodies to like a certain part of it, whereas their body naturally creates immunity to the whole thing. Okay. Same with us. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, yeah. that, right. that's natural immunity. Um, and I also want to know, did you know? Okay. Does anybody want to know? Take a gander. Um, what the number one cause of death for kids ages 5 to 14 is. Not COVID. You are correct. Not even close. No. Cancer. Mm-hmm. That's the big C. Is that yeah. really the number, number one? one cause of death? The number, the number two cause of death ages 5 to 14, motor vehicle crashes. Okay. Did you know that kids are nine times more likely to die from a motor vehicle crash than of COVID? And here's the big kicker, y'all. This is ages 5 to 14. A child is seven times more likely to die from suicide than of COVID. Oh, yeah. Well, do y'all want to talk about the mental health for just yeah, a quick yeah. minute? I was like, I have Amy, some did you knows on that. Give me some did you knows, Amy, because I know you got them. <laughs> because we've we've talked about this quite a bit. You guys having younger children than I do. But the impact, I've, I've, I think I've shared on the podcast before, our 22, almost 23-year-old, we call him our happy child. He's the mm-hmm. one that's just easygoing and, and, you know, likes to wakes up happy. You know, yeah. just mm-hmm. one of those people. I've never seen him in the mental state that it, it just, he was in college his junior year. It changed. He, no, he loved sports. There was no sports. There was no right. sports to play, no sports to watch. His job that he had lined up, his, his, you know, everything that his plan was severely interrupted. And for the first time in his entire life, the child tells me he's depressed. It's crazy. Like even that's it just goes to show you, like even the most well adjusted yes. kids, the most well adjusted ones are 
struggling in some way, even the kids who maybe you feel like they're fine. Oh, they're fine. They don't care about the mask. Or, oh, they, they're fine. You know, they're, they're whatever. They're, they're just resilient. playing their video games. They're resilient. Yeah. Kids are resilient. We hear that all the time. We are, we are not going to know. Okay. I was a psychology major, <laughs> but I'm just saying, Tell us, Carol. we are not going to know the impacts of this, how this is going to affect people mentally, emotionally, um, socially for years to come. This is going to be a consequence that is ongoing. So did y'all know that this month, actually, the U.S. pediatricians and psychiatrists declared an emergency in child mental health? And did you know that Mm. according to CDC data, there was a surge in self-harm and hospitalizations from poor mental health among teens in 2020 and a 51% increase in suicide attempts among teenage girls? Mm. And did you know that back in April of 2020, JAMA Psychiatry published a report on the possible consequences of quarantine orders stating that while they may help help quell infections, the potential for adverse outcomes on suicide risk is high. Well, that was a, that was in the beginning. Mm. Somebody tell me how Australia is doing it. Like when I watch what's happening over there, not being able to leave their house. Oh, you know what? I, and also, Amy, if you're hearing sound, it's the AC. It's the AC. Yeah. I know. I'm like, can we turn the AC off? <laughs> Paul. Paul. <laughs> Paul's Paul in the Bruce studio in here. today. Yeah. Paul Bruce in the studio today. We, we can get him on. How do we get this air out? I don't know. Um, so, yeah, like, I don't know how, like, I felt like I was losing it for the, you know, brief time we had it in North oh, Carolina. Oh, I know I was. Yeah. You were at home with children. <laughs> young, young babies. That's not easy. But Ooh. it's just, you know, it's, it's a lot. And I think, again, when we look back on this, there was so much we didn't know. So for the mistakes made based on lack of evidence, you can't fault anyone. But we are two years in. I know. And it, at this point, we just, we should know there's no beating this. This is here to stay. I don't, I don't, I can't, no one's been able to prove otherwise. Right. right. And we're still masking kids in school. Did you know, we just looked this up. This is just a random fact in New Hanover County. Oh. Kristen, oh. how many people are hospitalized currently at... in New Hanover County with COVID? Okay. This is in our hospital. Seven are hospitalized. Seven? Seven. At New Hanover. You mean Regional seven Medicine. whole people? Seven whole people. Seven whole people. And, and. Guess what? Three are vaccinated. Four are not vaccinated. Hmm. Hey, how'd you get this? How'd you get this info? Hmm. Was it from the same lady who was a lying little, on the? Uh, no, this is a little, <laughs> a little, bur- a little birdie. birdie on the inside. Oh, okay. Gotcha. There's a little birdie. Wait, is it yeah. three vaccinated or three unvaccinated? Three vaccinated, four unvaccinated. Okay, yeah. so we're, yeah, yeah. So, 50-50. so when you have that kind of information, again, it, it does not follow the narrative. We keep hearing this. And what about Florida? Did you know? Did you know? Speaking of the narrative, not following the narrative. Because nobody's telling this news. Nobody wants us to know this. Florida has the second lowest number of weekly reported cases right now of any state in America, second to Hawaii. And the blue, this isn't, this is according to the, and I need to pull up the news source, but it said the the states that are struggling the most are uh, the blue states that have the strongest mandates and uh, the masking, you know, requirements and things like that. And it just goes to show you guys that, like, again, the time will tell. Time will tell. They can't cover up this stuff. Well, I don't think they can cover up this stuff forever. They're going to have to shut down the Internet to do it. But it, time is going to tell the story. Right. And so through 20 months, like, the death rates are pretty much, in New York and Florida, are pretty much the same, yet Florida's economy remained open, right? People got to stay oh, at work. amazing. People got to live free. Yeah, and now there. they have lower cases probably than New York, second lowest. Yeah. yeah. Hawaii is so, yeah. lower than New York. Yep. And businesses are still thriving. Yep. And, um, you know, yep. and they, it all and shook out. They just didn't take as, 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 a, as a strong of, of an approach and a regimented approach to COVID. They... They, they handle things differently. And, you know, they were one of the first states to come up with the uh, monoclonal antibodies, uh, making those available to as many people as possible for treatment. And I think, again, focusing on not just the vaccines as a way to handle COVID, but looking at it in the full scope of what's good for their people. Right. Actually and, looking out for And them. That, that made a lot of sense, right, to a lot of us. Um, but you know what? The UK, the UK public health data, speaking of deaths this year compared to last year, guys, they're too thousand percent higher so they looked at COVID-19 deaths in September and October of 2021 and September and October of 2020 they're two thousand times higher than the number recorded during the same period in 2020 now I want to remind everyone we were not vaccinating everyone in 2020 we were vaccinating everyone in 2021 and supposedly they have said repeatedly that the delta is more contagious but not as deadly have they not said that repeatedly yes 
So what's the di- what's the difference? Mm. What's the big change that That happened? is a huge number, 2000%. I mean, we're not talking about But if oh. you go back to the to the to the data in London in England, what did they say? They see that that antibody is not as strong mm-hmm. in the vaccinated, making them more vulnerable to mutations of the disease. Mm. Mm, mm, I'm just saying, I think we have a lot of questions. Amy, Kristen, and I, hey, Kristen's the only one with a medical degree. We do not have one. Amy and I do not. But we can read. We can read. And we can use our brain. You know, yes, there are a lot of people who are spewing, you know, spewing things that aren't really facts, you know, and we want to fact check. If there's ever anything wrong, let us know. And, and But you don't have to have a degree to research this stuff and look at studies. You know, I want to repeat that, you know, even though... Uh, you know, I, I'm a nurse. I've got, you know, my bachelor's in nursing. Like, that does not m- make me any smarter <laughs> than anybody else. And a physician, I mean, of course, physicians are very intelligent. They've gone to a lot of school. I would, I mean, they work their butts off. But I'm just saying, in in reference to all of this and a lot of things, we can find stuff out these days right. in this age of knowledge. Well, and of, I think just know, with and all information. This, <laughs> with all this, like, with all of this that we know now, with the kids, the death rates of kids, just how the vaccine's working around the world— we're just so curious why we're pushing it still, why the mandate's on kids. Like, if I were to hear that statement, we're never going to learn how safe the vaccine is until we start giving it. That's just how it goes. I, you, I don't even need to listen to any more of that presentation. I don't even know mm-hmm. how long it was. Probably eight hours long. That one sentence. Right. That one sentence. It's concerning. That's it. That's it. And then also we need to just bring up on the did you knows with all of this, the vaccine and everything is just the big pharma. Did y'all know mm-hmm. that the former FDA commissioner, Scott Gottlieb, now sits on the board at Pfizer? There are a lot of... Oh, um, they, that they are so connected. Okay. I can't even tell who's who anymore because they flip-flop from the FDA or the CDC into the boards or into employment with these companies and vice versa. So when I tell you that these people are all swimming in the same pool, I, I mean, we can we could do an entire episode mm-hmm. on how much these people are, I, I hate to say in bed together, but they, they, they literally are going from one, one to the other. And I think you lose objectivity. And I think when money's involved, which, can we talk about that for a minute? Yeah. Well, there's another one. Did you know that Stephen Hahn led the FDA when it authorized Moderna's uh, COVID-19 vaccine? And he recently took an executive-level executive, executive level post with Flagship Pioneering, which is the company that launched uh, Moderna. Oh. So he was led the FDA when they authorized the vaccine, and now he's working with Moderna. And like, now he's working with them. So it's hmm. just the conflicts of interest. Hmm. Um, th- that's just a whole little deep dive if anybody wants to look at and how these you know, companies are. Well, Mark McClellan was the FDA commissioner at one point, And now he's also maintained a board of director seat with Johnson and Johnson since like 2013. So again, hmm. like I know these were things that we found definitively, these people who have sat in both places. Right. Pharma and FDA, pharma and but FDA. I wonder if our listeners have ever just taken the time to go research any of the three vaccine makers hmm. and look at their history. Have hmm. we looked at Pfizer? Have Holly we looked? has. Oh, yeah, girl. I'm going to tell <laughs> you it, how you can it. do it, too. Get your popcorn. Get your, <laughs> y'all, it is shocking that this does not make headline news every day when they are talking about mandating a medical procedure, the vaccinations of Americans, mandating them from two companies whose, whose history with legal issues is substantial and i mean in a variety of ways and we're supposed to trust these jokers to give us safe products and tell (laughs) us the truth about their products they have historically lied repeatedly and it gets better our politicians that we've elected they have heavily invested in these companies okay pfizer is the number five biggest investment of the senate johnson and johnson is eight Mm. Moderna is brand new. Now, I want you to know, Moderna never even showed a profit for one quarter before the vaccines came out. And now what we know is that they're, that since the vaccines came out, I believe, what have they posted as their profit? Child? Do you remember? It's like, uh, well, here, I think I have it right here. So COVID-19 has been a miracle for Moderna. Okay, it's a, it's a, it's a company that was never, not one time showing a profit. In the first half of 2021 alone, though, the COVID vaccine generated them $4 billion in profits. That's not revenue. That's profits. Mm. That's pretty remarkable considering, considering that given to prior to this year, 
They've never earned a single quarterly profit of any sort. And it arguably even understates the case for how profitable the coronavirus pandemic has made Moderna. Because over the past year, they have generated positive free cash flow of $9.1 billion, or more than twice its reported profits for the period. Y'all, they are raking it in. And again, they had never put forth one profitable product. Now, again, in their defense, let's say, hey, maybe they finally just got it right. All right. Mm-hmm. But should we just tr- blindly trust that they got it right when a similar vaccine created by Pfizer, Pfizer does have the history of lying their tails off, okay? <laughs> and and it gets better. It gets better. Um, they have, first of all, I don't know if you guys know, but the largest um, lawsuit in drug history was with Pfizer. I think you guys know this, right? There's a, um, and I'm, I'm trying to pull up the article on it now, but they they are responsible for the biggest lawsuit of basically lying about products and then knowing it was harming the public but not disclosing it. Mm. They have lied so many times and and paid for it and yet we are still allowing them how are they still in business? Yeah, yeah, this. Listen to this. Okay. Brought to you by Pfizer. CBS Health Watch sponsored by Pfizer. Anderson Cooper 360. Brought to you by Pfizer. ABC News Nightline. By Pfizer, making a difference. Brought to you by Pfizer. CNN Tonight. Brought to you by Pfizer. Early start. Brought to you by Pfizer. Friday night on Aaron Burnett out front. Brought to you by Pfizer. This week with George Stephanopoulos is brought to you by Pfizer. This letter report brought to you by Pfizer. Today's countdown to the royal wedding is brought to you by Pfizer. And now a CBS Sports update brought to you by Pfizer. Meet the press. Data download. Brought to you by Pfizer. This portion of CBS This Morning sponsored by Pfizer. On how to find the hidden sugars in the American family diet. Sponsored by Pfizer. Like so Pfizer's can. like the pharma hoe. <laughs> <laughs> what do they Pfizer, got on? They sponsor an everybody. 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 I mean, they get around. They get around. Or the pimp. I guess they're the pimp, no, not the hoe. There's something, <laughs> something, something shady. Because, and no offense to anyone who works for Pfizer, okay? I'm not saying or that Pfizer a or has it. Or as a pimp or a hoe. We don't want to right. <laughs> okay, Pfizer's, well. pay, Pfizer's paying the bills of these, uh, I mean, they're, they're, having a, they're financially contributing to all of these major that's that right. And look who's financially contributing to them. Pfizer is the number five biggest investment, as we said in the Senate. You can go to opensecrets.org. Great website. Opensecrets.org will, will disclose who's invested where. Okay? Johnson & Johnson being number eight. Guess who the number one investor in Congress was um, in Pfizer? Y'all want to take a gander at who the number one um, politician? Who's the number one politician invested in Pfizer? Uh, Fauci. That's who I would have said. <laughs> he's not. Is he a politician? No, no nope, he's not even elected. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. It's your President Joe Biden. Oh. Oh. Mm-hmm. Oh. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. Didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Things it, that make you go. Mm-hmm. Those, are, those are good things. To yep. Know. In 2009, the amount of money Pfizer spent on lobbying in D.C. more than doubled. I want you guys to understand what's happening here. Doubled to over $24 million they were spent on paying lobbyists in D.C., to go talk to the politicians so that they would vote in favor of what would best suit Pfizer. It's known practice. We know that happens, right? But guess what else happened to Pfizer in 2009? Wonder why they'd need to spend so much money in lobbying your government officials. Because the pharmaceutical giant agreed to pay $2.3 billion to settle civil and criminal allegations that it had illegally marketed its painkiller Bextra, which has been withdrawn. It was the largest healthcare fraud settlement and the largest criminal fine of any kind ever. But this wasn't their first rodeo. It was Pfizer's fourth settlement over illegal marketing activities since 2002. New York Times reported on it. And yet we're supposed to trust these jokers. And yet they're still sponsoring every single news news organization that we watch on mainstream media. There's no accountability. No one's, as far as I know, no one has paid Mm. a day in prison, not one. There is no accountability for these companies, and the people who are supposed to hold them accountable, which would be our government officials, aren't doing it because they're in bed with them. And go go look it up, opensecrets.org. But there's a huge conflict of interest here. Huge. And then, if you want the reporting, let's talk about media. Amy just showed you all of the media sources that are sponsored by Pfizer, all of the news uh, shows that are sponsored by Pfizer. 
But do you know this goes for YouTube, Google, Facebook? Did you know? Just just go look at OpenSecrets.com and you will see that Facebook that that they have given where they gave and donated to in 2016, 17, 18, 19, 20. Far more Democrat legislators are invested in Alphabet, who owns Google and YouTube, than Republicans. 94%. If you're looking at who's who's more invested in these companies, 94% are Democrats. Their political donations were 84% to Democrats in, to Democrats in 2020. 84%. They gave 4.3 million alone to Joe Biden, and their top 31 donation recipients were entirely Democrats. This is not a company. Alphabet, again, owns Google and YouTube. They do not care about Republicans. That's that's very clear. You put your money where your mouth is, right? Well, because they're being paid, right? They're they're the legislators mm. are investing in if if it, who's giving you the money, mm-hmm. that's who you're gonna like. There's a show your allegiance is, to, right? There is such all a lack money. of this is and, and we can find this, but it's never talked about. There, where are the investigative reporters who are going to cover this stuff? Well, mm-hmm. I'll tell you what happens to them. They don't survive. They get censored. Mm-hmm. You look at Alex Berenson from the New York Times, mm-hmm. who was deplatformed from Twitter for telling the truth about right. the vaccines. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is a New York Times reporter. He is not a right-wing Republican. Right. He's the first to tell you. <laughs> right. Look at It's not about politics. No. You, there's, but where is the good investigative journalism? Well, there's no money in it. Right. anymore there's no jobs in it anymore you have to be like us and just have to be willing to dig for no money right. mm-hmm. to just dig and tell the truth so the american public knows it well just like breitbart did you know that facebook um they've just been found to that they have suppressed breitbart news traffic by 20 percent on their site not because of any kind of policy violation on breitbart's part but simply because of political motives mm. they didn't want those articles, that side of the narrative being shown, so they actually support. They're in trouble for that. That's like, well, of course, probably nothing will happen, like mm-mm. always. Well, but, but they're actually in trouble for that right now. And, and it's like a big sh- deal. Why should it shock us that they hate Breitbart, like a very right wing publication? Why would it be shocking when eighty nine percent of its political donations went to Democrats right. in twenty twenty? But if we're a two party system, yeah, right, then let us be a two party system. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's the thing is that these big corporations are being paid to make us a one party system. Oh, guess how much went to Joe Biden um, from Twitter? How much? 98%. Of 98% of Twitter's political donations went to Joe Biden. Again, it's full disclosure, OpenSecrets.org. We are not making this up. And Mark Zuckerberg spent, well, and we've got to check this because I'm not sure about the source on this, but apparently Mark Zuckerberg spent millions during the 2020 elections to support Democrat candidates through some legal loopholes. And and this is, again, we got to fact check to make sure because we did get this from a right-wing news well, source. So I remember sure. Fauci was on an interview with something that Chad shared with you. What was that that he that he listens to? Because y'all do listen to, you know, that other... Yes, he makes me I listen can't... to... We listen to all sides and he makes me listen to the Daily podcast. <laughs> yeah. And Fauci just, was on there and said that yeah. Zuckerberg reached out to him and said, how can I help you? And that yeah. he helped, like, financially. Right. Like, so, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't... Rem- sure. I just remember right. hearing that. And so. this is like, we're telling you this stuff. We've heard it. We've seen it. If you want to dig further and if you can tell us we're wrong do it but yeah this well, is for a jumping off point for anyone to dive deeper and y'all i do want to pull up uh, circling back to pfizer i mean yeah. i know we're talking about media is yeah, i don't know no, if y'all had no, something no, else keep going but I, I do want to tell y'all a little bit more about the pfizer trials too okay mm, yes so did you know <laughs> <laughs> overall among the total pers- t- participants who received um the pfizer vaccine or placebo 9.1% were black or African-American, 28% were Hispanic, Latino, 4.3% were Asian, and 0.5% were American Indian, Alaska Native. Okay, so that's important because when they're doing this blanket mandate, and y'all, this is something that people might not know. People react differently to different diseases. And this is straight, let's see, this actually, this is on Pfizer.com. And mm. it says diversities in clinical trials, why it's important. Um, and it says differences between people can often lead to different responses to the same medication. Yes. Age, genetics, gender, weight, ethnic origin, even geographic location. All of these may play a role in how treatment may work or how safe it may be. For instance... African-Americans sometimes need a different dosage or a different drug altogether. 
for certain asthma, blood pressure, and heart conditions than white, Asian, or Hispanic patients with the same diagnoses. For this reason, the diversity in clinical trial populations can be critical to public health and well-being through increased representation of the populations who experience a condition. This is so, yeah, there's more on this, okay, so y'all can... Look this up. Diversity in clinical trials, why it's important. It's straight on Pfizer.com. This is so important, y'all, because they did this trial not only on for like just two months before saying they authorized it, but they only had a small percentage. Now, that also is they make it. Maybe not a lot of people wanted to be in it. I mean, that's that they can't make people be in the trial. And that's OK. And I know there's a lot of hesitation in that in those communities because like Tuskegee experiment, lots of things. Um, but I just wanted to point that out. Okay. Um, I also wanted to point out that Pfizer, although Pfizer states in their published trial that safety monitoring will continue for two years after administration of the second dose of the vaccine, participants in the trial who received placebo are already being offered the vaccine, which they have. Therefore, there's no placebo group. Um, uh, left to compare chronic adverse events to see whether or not more long-term, long-lasting health conditions such as autoimmunity, neurological disease, or cancer are more or less prevalent in the vaccine group compared to placebo. Okay? Now, here's one more thing. If, I know you're probably tired of hearing my voice. Okay? No. But no. this, um, Ashley Everly, the Everly Report, she pointed this out, and someone, um, actually Alex Berenstein was talking about this too. Okay? Um even though there, okay, did you know, although there were a total of 43,548 trial participants um, in Pfizer's phase three trial, their calculation of effectiveness is based on a total of 170 participants. These 170 participants were the first to develop symptoms of COVID and test positive for SARS-CoV-2 within the two-month monitoring period, starting seven days after the administration of the second vaccine. Um, so in the chart that they have, it states that the first 170 participants to develop symptoms and test positive, um, 162 of them were placebo recipients and eight were vaccine recipients. Okay, that's where they got the 95% effective calculation. So it doesn't so make So 95% sense. effective comes from only 170 people? Yes, of those whole trials. Okay, okay because they did not include, um, so they, and of course they said suspected COVID-19 cases that occurred within seven days so they were testing people after seven days, okay, post-vaccination. So the suspected COVID-19 cases that occurred within seven days after the vaccination were 409 in the vaccine group versus 287 in the placebo group. This means that over 70% of the participants who developed symptoms of COVID in the first seven days following each shot were those who received the vaccine. <laughs> okay. okay. Yep. All right. Blown. Yep. I will just well, I think, add that yeah, so you can print it out and visualize to, um, it. Yes. Yeah. Y'all might need to just read that and read it again and read it again. Because basically it again what because it's saying, it was a small part. They are making these decisions of 95% of efficacy on a very small pool of people. Right. And did you say it was in the first two weeks of getting the shot? This is within seven days. So, we, which now we do believe there's more evidence speaking to the fact that in the first two weeks after you get the vaccine, you are more susceptible. And so there's a really good explanation because we had to wrap our heads around it. I mean, it takes a minute. It does. To, like, process it does. all this. And also, did y'all have y'all seen, uh, is it Brandon Goodwin, the NBA basketball players yes. and the Hawks? He, um, was in the hospital. He started having problems and he says he's got a video of it, everything. And he's not bashing them. He says he still has much love and respect for them, but he started having issues. And, um, after the vaccine respiratory issues ended up in the hospital, they actually called him while he was in the hospital and said they were going to let him go and tell the press that he's not playing anymore. And he ended up, it was blood clots. And he said, it's a thousand percent. He, he a thousand percent knows. And, and wait, wait, wait. they told him not to say anything. They told him okay. not to Why? tell people. Why? Because, again, it's about vaccine hesitancy. We also know that OSHA has also said they're not even going to report until, what, 2022 yeah. on any vaccine injuries of the of employees because they don't want to contribute to vaccine hesitancy. But if vaccine hesitancy exists because there are real reasons to find hesitant, the, to be hesitant, what is, this Why is the we, insanity that we're living crazy. in. But again, if we speaking of insanity, and I know we got to wrap it up, but because this is so time sensitive and we want our listeners to know this week, something very important has happened. We reported on this last time where in the school boards, the, the, the Biden administration, mm -hmm. um, 
Merrick Garland, who is the uh, attorney general under the under Biden, he basically issued an order with the FBI to crack down on parents protesting at school board meetings. And we made the point then. We said, wait, are people dying at school board meetings? Are, are, is there violence at school? Or is this really a problem compared to many other things right. we're dealing with? The border. The border. Um, riots. What we dealt with last, last year with summer. riots. All that. Okay, is this really a problem? Well, guess what? The uh, school board association, so they came out and basically said, hold up. We regret that we issued that memo that was basically the basis of AG, of AG uh, Garland's state uh, actions, basically. They basically made an apology for their domestic terrorism letter. They backtracked completely, basically said there was no justification for some of the language included in the letter, and we should have made, had a better process in place to allow for consultation on a communication of this significance. We regret and apologize for the letter. Mm-hmm. I bet so, they do. I bet they do. Because they've gotten a lot of attention mm-hmm. from a lot of parents. Well, this ain't looking like America. And there's a race mm. happening, a governor's race happening in that, Virginia. that could be affected by mm-hmm. this letter. Because that, that, govern, that person running for governor made the stupid comment that our education was really not parents' business. I don't want to misquote mm. him. But it was, mm-hmm. it was along those lines that it was not our, none of our business. Leave it up to the educators. Oh, mm-hmm. uh, no. Okay. Um, here's the other thing, though. And, Amy, I want you to play this. So it mm-hmm. went before Congress this week, and <laughs> Tom Cotton had his day with the attorney general, and the attorney general would not backtrack off of this. It was interesting. Go listen to the full thing because it is, it's is—it's a good conversation and we don't want to throw him entirely under the bus, but it was puzzling that he sort of held the line on this. So, Amy, can you play that? Yep. You've cited as the basis for that directive the National School Board Association's letter of September 29th. Was that directive being prepared before September 29th, before the School Board Association letter was issued? I don't believe so. Certainly, I didn't have any idea. So it was only prepared at, okay, I think that answers the question. I already answered that so, question So you, you keep citing the school board letter and news reports. That's news right. Re- one of the news right. reports cited in that letter, which you presumably mean, is from Loudoun County, Virginia. No, that's Scott, not, that is not um, uh, what I was talking about. Well, it, about you keep citing news reports, and not, that's the most prominent news report that anyone in America has seen. That refers to Scott Smith, whose 15-year-old daughter was raped. She was raped in a bathroom by a boy wearing girls' clothes, and the Loudoun County School Board covered it up because it would have interfered with their transgendered policy during Pride Month. And that man, Scott Smith, because he went to a school board and tried to defend his daughter's rights, was condemned internationally. Do you apologize to Scott Smith and his 15-year-old daughter, Judge? Senator, anyone who's a uh, child was raped as uh, is a, the most horrific crime I can imagine and is certainly entitled and protected by the First Amendment to c- protest to their school board about that. But he was cited is, by the school board association that's fine, as a domestic not, terrorist, which we now know that letter and those reports were the basis for your... Dur- no, th- this no, is, Senator, this is that's wrong. Shameful. Judge, that's, this is shameful. This, here, this testimony, your directive, your performance is shameful. That's not... Th- cr- thank God you are not on the Supreme Court. You should resign in disgrace, Judge. Well, Mm. Well, here's here's what I take away from that. Parents, the government works for us. We the people. Right. The government works for us. If you see an injustice, if you see something happening in your child's education that is concerning to you, you not only have the right, but I would say in this day and age, it is uh, it is absolutely something that you must do, which is speak up and be the advocate for your child and for the and for other people's children. And the fact that there was something that happened coming from the top down, the Biden administration saying, we're gonna treat you like domestic terrorists if you go and protest, that's a that's a real problem and that's very concerning. And it and it doesn't matter what party President Biden and his administration are a part of, every single American should speak out against the silencing of dissenting voices. And I've never in my lifetime seen more support for attacking those with a different opinion right. than I have in the last year. Mm. It's crazy. It's proven. Like with the even just what we're talking about with the media and the suppression of the other side. It's like the we have a two party system that's turning into a one party system because the other side of the conversation is being ignored, suppressed, whatever. I mean, mm. it's just how can we make informed decisions as Americans? 
without having all the information. Well, that's it's, what what we're here to help. That's why do. we're here. That's mm-hmm. why we're doing the did you knows, and we're going to have another one of these for yeah, sure because we got we more. We, we got only more. got we only got through half of it. Uh, yeah. Oh, we got more. All for right. You. Well, I, do wanna, I do want to leave them with one funny because we got to laugh about something. Okay. Give us a joke. Did we leave. you know how many of y'all have pooped in your pants? In our in your life <laughs> in your lifetime. <laughs> yeah. It's happened. Did you know? That there is a 0.7% prevalence of fecal incontinence for those under 65 years old. Okay. That is a higher prevalence than dying of COVID. You have more of a chance of pooping in your pants well, than dying of COVID. You're welcome. I mean, go, go have some diaper. spicy food. <laughs> oh, but, but there's no diaper mandate yet. So we'll keep you posted on that <laughs> okay, as well. Yeah. Hopefully that won't happen. All right, y'all. Thanks, y'all, for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Bye.